you have kids, right? And mm-hmm. when you're teaching them stuff, you're like ball, ball, and you right. repeat what that is and they learn ball. So it stands to reason that they're going to grow up and they're not going to pick up a baseball bat and be like ball, right? right? Because you've taught them what ball is. Yes. So that's one of the key principles that helped me realize that I'm, I'm not broken. This is just a, a fundamental misunderstanding and bad teaching, basically. Yeah. And as soon, and if you did grow up with a kid that was misidentifying a bat as a ball, all you would need to do is correct that a few times and they would be like, oh, okay, this is a bat. It's not a ball, but it is just a misunderstanding, right? You're not broken. You're not damaged beyond repair. You just learned something that now we have to unlearn. You're a high achiever on paper and through the eyes of others. You've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. I love when podcast guests come back to the Trauma Hiders Club, and it seems that you do too. Today, we have a quick and jam-packed visit from previous guest, my sister friend, Lovewell coach and author, Giovanna Caposa. You likely remember our conversation in an earlier episode in which we talked about the physical effects of unprocessed trauma. As a holistic practitioner, Giovanna knows the time between the discovery of the first symptom and diagnosis can be a long one for sufferers of chronic disease. This certainly played out for Giovanna and her raging case of lovesickness. Listen in as we talk about unintegrated trauma and relationships, assumptions, stories, and the launch of Giovanna's book, Love Well, Confessions of a Lovesick Woman, right now in the Trauma Hiders Club. Giovanna, I am so glad you are back in action in the Trauma Hiders Club. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You were one of our you know, first few guests. Oh, cool. Well, I'm honored to be back. Right. And uh, as the show has sort of morphed and actually, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's morphed. It's just sort of gotten its groove. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to bring people back in this space. So let's have some fun. Yeah. And let's talk unintegrated trauma and relationships or integrated trauma and relationships, because that's fun. Yeah. 
Well, it's fun for me. <laughs> right, right. So I've been giving a lot of thought to this. And of course, it's been playing out in my life. Yeah. Having lived a life of unhealed, unintegrated trauma. And I've been thinking about one, how did I do that? How did I do that? And clearly I can. And secondly, I've been thinking about having worked on the integration aspect and the healing aspect of my work, my relationship, my love relationship with like, for example, with my husband and with those around me feels very different. Mm. Yes. Yes. So when I think about what listeners might want to know, and this is a question that I've asked the vast majority of my life, how is it that we can have relationships and yet have this internal, whatever it is for you, for me, this internal rage, I mean, that's what I had, an internal fiery rage filled with shame and disgust and filth and sort of leading a double life at the same time. Yeah. How is it that we can do this? I mean, that's a, such a good question. I can go, I'm already, my brain's already going like to three different, probably 3000, but three immediately. So there's a lot of reasons why we can. So first of all, we can have relationships with all that stuff going on and they may or may not necessarily be healthy relationships, right? It'll just be a relationship. And a lot of times, you know, we will, we might bond with somebody else who has similar trauma or someone who has almost opposite trauma and we're almost fused together to kind of play this thing out. Right. Mm -hmm. So it is possible to have a relationship with all that stuff that is unhealthy. Right. Right. Then the other possibility is that you have an amazing, like your, I know your husband's amazing and you have an amazing marriage and you can have this amazing. And you're like, well, how, how is it that I could do that when I have all this crap going on? And likely, and I don't know, because I haven't interviewed David and gone through assessments and stuff with him, but likely David, your husband, if I'm okay to use his name, yes, has worked out whatever his stuff is enough that he was a secure, safe landing spot for you mm. that gave you, gave you the space to be all of who you are, including all of that stuff that you just mentioned, and still be able to hold you and love you until you could, as you said, do this work yourself and unravel and do all that. And it's, and it's gotten better and it's even better and all your other relationships are better. Right. And then the third scenario is that of course you can't, right? Like the third scenario was that some, for some people until they work out all this crap, they can't, they cannot have that connection because it just becomes untenable to connect with someone. Cause you just have, there's so much internal trauma and drama going on that you just, you can't. And so you may bottle yourself up, you may close down, you may not want to connect with someone, or you just might keep sabotaging, right? Because of all the stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot more we can parse out in each of those things, but to answer your how, is that possible to have a relationship with all these things? Those are the three kind of options that I see immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. When I'm just going to share this part, when you said that David worked on his stuff whatever his stuff was, and could hold the relationship and the the safety for me, 
like I felt that in right got got sort of like hot and yeah a little teary over here (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it's so interesting because among other things so when I asked you that question I had me in mind so what that says to me is the story that I have about the unlovability of me the unlovable me still has a voice within me right like how is it that I, an unlovable one, could have a, I mean, we've been married 30 years. We've been together for 32. How could I show up for this amazing? That was really my question is like, how could yeah. a piece of shit like me have this thing? I didn't think about, it's fascinating. Because he doesn't see that, right? When you're with somebody right. who is secure and I'm talking about attachment styles and mm-hmm. um, a little bit of that sort of developmental attachment science, but, and who knows, like, you know, he might have his own gremlins inside and deal with his own stuff. But when someone is secure enough in the way that they love and the way they attach to someone else, they can hold you and hold all your stuff. And they don't see what you see when Mm -hmm. you look in the mirror, they see all your love and all your glory and they adore you. And that actually sets up the container that you need to heal and be able to unravel these pieces, to have the space to do that. Imagine if you were with someone who was like a total drama king and abusive or what, you could never heal this stuff. You would just be recycling the same drama. And and that's why I always, you know, I tell my clients, like the pursuit is to just heal enough that you could find someone who is secure in this way to hold that. And you were. And so I want to reflect back to you that you were healed enough. Yes. And you actually did love yourself enough. Not all the way. You weren't fully cooked. None of us are, by the way, but enough that you drew this man in and you were able to recognize he is a wonderful, safe, secure place for me to be with all Mm -hmm. my stuff. Yeah. And he was like, I don't even see that because you're just perfect and amazing. And I love you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is he's like, he reminds me of like a Jewish mother, not my Jewish mother, but (laughs) like Jerry Seinfeld's mother, for example, like how can someone not like you? Right. (laughs) That, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that is David. Like what somebody, you know, you didn't, doesn't even fathom, like doesn't even cross his mind. You didn't win the thing. You didn't get hired. You didn't like that prospective client didn't hire you. That's impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have the Jewish mother that perhaps I did not have growing, growing up. up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to also pick out here because this shatters, this is why I made like a whole video, about why self-love is bullshit. Cause this mm-hmm. kind of shatters a little bit of this new agey Dr. Phil concept of like, you know, I always have, I always, I always hear that, hear that one episode where he's on Oprah and he's like, you're fat. Cause you don't love yourself. Right. Mm. And it's like, but it shatters that whole concept because you don't have to like, oh, you're not going to attract the love of your life until you fully like love yourself. It's like, that's not really true because the average person still to some little degree or another has some self-love stuff that they're working through. So it's actually not true. And it leads a bunch of people just waiting for some eventual carrot on a stick of when I arrive at this point that all my self-love boxes are checked off, then I'll be able to be with the person that I want. And it's actually, you just prove the point that it's, it's kind of BS because 
you you're never going to be fully cooked, but you can still by either working on yourself and healing a little bit enough, right? Or by fate and beautiful like serendipity or there's ways that this person can come into your life who will benefit your healing. And you know, cause you, I mean, I'm, I think you've interviewed our, one of our favorites, Kendra and, and Kendra says this and some of my other relationship teachers is like, you can't heal relationship trauma in a vacuum. You have to heal relational trauma in the context of a healthy relationship. So this concept that we have to be fully cooked and already at this like self-love Mecca, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the case, right? And we don't have to wait for that. It doesn't happen. Yeah. I love that perspective because the story that I make up is, oh, of course I could show up in a relationship. And of course I could be a partner because I'm so fucking skilled at leading a double life. So I even tricked him. How about that for some crap? right? Mm, yeah. Have definitely worked on that in therapy around like, have I just been full of shit? And that's how I spent my day to day. And so this man could love me, but that's not what it was. And you are, you are so right on. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, he probably looks at that stuff that you mistakenly think is the real you as being full of shit. Yeah. That's, that's the full of shit part, right? Like the other part that you think is like your double life that you're faking it. He's like that other part where you think you're unworthy and all the stuff you said, like that, that part's full of shit, which it is PS yeah. that, that is the, the lying full of shit part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering if in Lovewell, confessions of a lovesick woman, if you either interviewed or shared or even shared your own experience about choosing a partner or choosing love that was the very kind of love that you experienced as a child, let's say, mm. that was the source of your trauma? Yeah, that's such a good question. So in my book that you just mentioned, I do. So it's a memoir and I really, it's, it's, it's a memoir. It's I, I cheek tongue and cheek, call it my, my cautionary tale for women out there, but <laughs> I do, I replicate that. And I laugh because my, I bought my very first relationship book when I was, I think it was 18 or 19 years old. It was by Harville Hendricks. It was called getting the love you want. Yep. Love that. And I bought that and people are like my contemporaries at that time, trust me, were not reading relationship books. So why the hell was I reading relationship books? Because I grew up in a household where, and I didn't recognize this till way into my adult life. Like I was deep into my thirties before I realized that this was traumatic, but I grew up in a household with parents who were constantly yelling and screaming at each other. Mm -hmm. There was constant chaos. There was constant abusive language, right? But I was just like, nah, that's part for the course. They're Italian, right. they yell, that's what they do, right? <laughs> But I realized later that actually my nervous system registered that as traumatic. And that was trauma because I remember being a little kid. I remember hiding under the desk in my room. And I just, I wanted my parents to stop screaming. I wanted them to stop fighting and yelling at each other. And I think it's important to mention that because sometimes people might be listening and they might be saying, oh, well, you know, I don't have trauma. I didn't, I didn't go to Afghanistan or mm -hmm. I wasn't raped or, and they think of these bigger things that are definitely massive traumas. Yes. And then there's micro traumas, right? And these little assaults to the nervous system and to yes. the senses. And so 
I did. And I, when I, when I was writing my book, it's fine. Writing memoir is so therapeutic. It's like a long journaling exercise that feels like it never ends. It's like, and I was, every time I would write, I'm like, and now I know why Hemingway drank. And I just like, I just, it's like, oh my God. So, but going through it. Yeah. You definitely realize like I attracted a lot of really dramatic push pull. Does he love me? Will he stay? you know, dynamics. And that was very much because I felt as a child, I didn't know where I stood with my parents' affections. Are they there for me? Are they not? Do they love me? Don't they? You know, and that chaotic environment of the home. And I'll never forget, I was in my, oh, I don't know, mid thirties, late 30. I don't know how old I was. It just feels like I've been doing this work forever. But I remember I was on the phone with like a therapist or one of my coaches and they were doing like free association stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they threw in the word love. And I immediately said pain. And I went, oh, and I just, oh. I threw my hands up over my mouth. And I was like, why did I, why did I say that? Because mm. I identified as a hopeless romantic and I love love. And, you know, like all the rom-coms and stuff like that. I love love. What do you mean? But I was associating love to being a painful experience. Mm. And in that moment, I realized that every painful relationship that I attracted, stayed in, tolerated, all of that. I'm just recreating this place that my nervous system has mistakenly identified as home. Yes. Right. And so there was, I was, love was sort of under this disguise of being, it had to be painful. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, like, I mean, we can blame Walt Disney and rom-coms because there's always pain and there's always, oh, you know, is will he love me or not? Is he going to come back? But that I was recreating that over and over and over again. And one of the pivotal points in my book, which is on pre-sale right now, is this moment I have after my mom dies. It's right after the last, you know, viewing at the funeral home. It's the day before the funeral. And I just like fall to pieces on her bed that she died in. Actually, it was my old room, my Mm -hmm. old bed. I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And all of a sudden... I uttered these words that I didn't understand until years and years later. And I just, I said, who's going to love me now? Hmm. And you know, my sisters came in and they're like, what are you talking about? Like so-and-so loves you. And so we love you. And even at the time, like, I don't know if you've ever had an out of body experience where you're like, who said that? Like, Hmm. who was that? I didn't understand it until fast forward many years later when I kind of hit my relationship rock bottom And I realized this addiction that I had to this illusion of romantic love saving me and that I was like, oh my God, I've been trying to answer this one question my entire life. I've been trying to answer Mm, that question. And so that is, that is because of developmental and childhood trauma and attachment stuff and all the, you know, all the, all the love science stuff. It is because of that. And sometimes like I even have clients, like I had a client, she just signed up to work with me a few weeks ago. When we got on the first call, she's like, I don't understand. She's like, my parents had an amazing marriage. She's like, they're, they're like, they're a role model and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, maybe it wasn't your parents, but maybe there was other little micro traumas and maybe right. there's other areas. Right. So yeah, big, long, long-winded answer to your question that absolutely I do reference and talk about that because these yeah. ways that we inadvertently learn how to love might not be the right ways. Yeah, right. It makes sense that we do learn it that way, right? Because that's what love looked like. That is what love looked like. And it may have 
absolutely been chaotic and and even just a, a whirlwind of yelling and even throwing and whatever disappointment. Lack of safety. Yeah, lack of safety. So we look for that because that's our that's our definition of love. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if like part of me wants to make that tragic. Mm. In what way? Like, oh, that's so sad. Oh, yeah. Right. That's so sad that we look for the very thing that caused us to be fucked up. Right. And yet I believe that there is some gold in there. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. The two people coming together who might recreate that environment, perhaps in a way, are there to work on breaking that cycle. Right. Provided, yeah. provided that they can hold space for one another to do that. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that helped me realize that I wasn't broken and it wasn't tragic in that mm -hmm. sense, right? Because I, I carried around the woe was me thing for like a really long time. Sure. One of the things that actually was a breakthrough for me realizing that I wasn't broken was that it's like you have kids, right? And mm -hmm. when you're teaching them stuff, you're like ball, ball, and you right. repeat what that is and they learn ball, right? So it stands to reason that they're going to grow up and they're not going to pick up a baseball bat and be like ball, right? right? Because you've taught them what ball is. Yes. So that's one of the key principles that helped me realize that I'm, I'm not broken. This is just a, a fundamental misunderstanding and bad teaching, basically. Yeah. And as soon, and if you did grow up with a kid that was misidentifying a bat as a ball, all you would need to do is correct that a few times and they would be like, oh, okay, this is a bat. It's not a ball. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that I kind of like, it is sad and it can be tragic and it, it is like, oh, damn. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about helping, you know, people with this. Yes. But it is just a misunderstanding. Right. You're not broken. You're not damaged beyond repair. You just learned something that now we have to unlearn. Yeah. And we just have to, just like had I yeah. had my kid picked up the bat and said ball, right? We just have to change the definition of what the bat is. Just like, absolutely. Just like we need to introduce the definition of what healthy love is. Yeah. yeah. The, the difference is though, is that you would tell your, your son who misunderstood the bat and you'd say, no, sweetie, that's not a bat, that's a ball. And you'd be really compassionate and gentle and sweet with him. But we don't do that with our inner child. We go, no. you stupid idiot, that's not a, you know. And that, that actually compounds the issue so much more, right? Absolutely. Because we berate and we, and so, and that's why my, you know, my three, my three pillars that I work with are self source and other, because Love that. we have to have a fundamental relationship with ourself, with our source, whatever you call that. And with the other, you actually cannot have the other unless you're good with those two to some degree, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah. Right? Really nice. I love that self source and other, we can use that in so many other areas as well. Yeah. So this is a really quickie interview. So <laughs> Maybe we need to have a part two of this, sure. which will be visit three. <laughs> Tell me who is the person or who are the people who should absolutely order this book? 
Oh my gosh. I would say if you struggle with relationships and understanding why you do what you do, if you know someone who just cannot get over that person that you know is just so bad for them and they just can't do it. If you're the hopeless romantic, right? And you're you're identifying that somehow maybe you're waiting for that Mr. Right. And maybe when you meet that Mr. Right, it's going to fix everything. This book is for you for sure. Mm. Yeah. Really nice. Just one more question. Is the yeah. book for someone in relationship currently? No, not necessarily. Okay. It could be for someone in relationship currently that, I mean, so I chronicle my life in and out of relationships. So it actually Got doesn't it. matter if you're in a relationship, you're not in a relationship. If you've just sworn off all relationships, you're like, screw this. I'm never doing it again. If you are a fan of love, this book mm. is for you. I love that. Yeah. I love that. This is wonderful. Fast and Furious. I love it. Yeah. I think we're going to need a part two. Sure. I'll be back. I'll, I'll okay. come again. You know, you know, I love to always chat with you. So I'll come Absolutely. again. Absolutely. <laughs> I love being with you, Giovanna. Thanks for, thanks for coming in and being your bright, beautiful, loving self. Oh, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me again. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.